What's up, everyone? Welcome into episode 199 of the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. And this episode is brought to you in part by Sweetwater. So July, the entire month of July, is Drum Month Giveaway on Sweetwater.com. So starting now through the 31st, you can enter to win a DW Performance Series four-piece shell pack and a really cool gold, gold sparkle finish ply finish. To enter, go to Sweetwater.com slash giveaway. Um, they're also going to be doing a lots of other great prizes on their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages. So f- make sure you follow them on those social media sites the entire month of July. You'll see things popping up there. Um, and they're including they're going to be giving away a Pearl Roadshow five-piece kit with symbols in a aqua blue glitter finish. And then there's going to be um, opportunities to get special financing options so if you're looking to make a big purchase you can get 48 months of interest free on a huge selection of brands and products and bundles and blowouts and all kinds of stuff again go to sweetwater.com slash deal zone slash drum hyphen percussion hyphen deals you'll probably be able to find that on their homepage if you just go to sweetwater.com they also have a dw hardware bundle that will be going you can enter to win that starting july 15th through the 21st so that includes a throne a bass drum pedal a cymbal stand a hi-hat stand and a snare drum stand that is the dw 3000 series hardware pack and that is a 430 dollars prize and then the final week of july that'll be the 22nd through the 31st they are going to opening up a Evans Bass Room Head Savings uh, Initiative. So if you're looking to get some Bass Room Heads from Evans, wait till the third week of July. There'll be a bunch of deals popping up on Sweetwater.com. So really the, the link you need to be aware of is Sweetwater.com slash DealZone slash drum hyphen percussion hyphen deals. That's where you're going to be finding all these blowouts the entire month of July. So get over to Sweetwater, check it out, follow them on their social medias, be on the lookout for these giveaway entry forms, all that jazz. This episode is also brought to you by Dream Symbols. If you haven't checked out Dream Symbols yet and you're looking for something in the kind of jazzy, thin, trashy world, I would highly recommend checking out their Bliss and Contact and Vintage Bliss series. If you want something really dry and articulate, check out the Dark Matter series. If you want something that's a little uh, little bit more projection but not super bright, check out the Energy series. And some of my favorite stuff in their catalog, if you want some different stacks, like small stacks, 10, 12, 14 inch stacks, check those out. They have a Libor Hadrava series that are kind of, they're custom tailored, small splash crashes and pangs. Um, those are really neat if you want that kind of tight electronic sounding stack sound. Um, also check out their crop circles, which is a circle of bronze that you can put on a cymbal or a snare drum and get some industrial sounds tons of really really cool stuff so i highly advise you to go to dreamsymbols.com check out what they got also go to your local dealer if they don't carry any dream symbols please urge them to get some and they'll get you some in the checkout um, follow them on facebook twitter instagram to find out about the nearest dream hang symbol event that might be coming near you um, and most importantly uh go play some of their symbols this week's intro beat is by D-Dub. D-Dub is playing on a DW Performance Series kit with a pork pie, little squealer, 5x12-inch snare, and he's using the Minel Benny Greb uh, cymbal pack. He recorded into Logic. He's using the CAD Pro 7 drum mic pack, which is, I believe, what we reviewed a couple weeks ago. Super affordable, uh, full-range drum mic pack. Um, yeah, so let's check it out. This is D-Dub, and uh, let's get the show rolling.
like one away from 200. What? Yeah. Right? That's awesome. Someone emailed us and said, where was episode 197? I got paranoid that we didn't do 197, but it's there. So this is 199 on the first week of July. So next week is our 200th, and we have nothing planned. How cool are we? You know, it's been pretty, (laughs) it's been a great couple weeks, always mentioning that we have nothing planned, and (laughs) then that is our trigger to tell us to plan something. And then by the end of the podcast, it's been an hour, I'm kind of done talking to you, and you're done talking to me. We just... I wish you guys could hear the end of the podcast because we say, all right, we'll see you guys next time. Give us a five-star rating and review. And then after that, it's literally, later, bro. <laughs> it's like, dude, what else is there to talk about? We just talked for an hour. I don't talk to anybody as much as I, I talk to you. Seriously, <laughs> if if my father came back from the dead, I'd give him 58 minutes. Like, dad, I've caught you up. <laughs> I started a business. I make online drum lessons. I've got a podcast. Things are going well. You did your job. I love you. I miss you like crazy. Tell Buddy Rich I said what's up. <laughs> Fairly simple conversation. I'm, I'm, I'm a short. I don't like to talk on the phone. Uh, but I enjoy talking to you, buddy. How are you doing? I'm doing good. So yesterday I was in zombie mode. I, that's, for me, the, the I feel great being 40 years old in general. But okay. I'm learning that like five days in a row of like, hard travel and gigging and stuff at the end of it i'm like wow i'm i'm actually like beat up like yeah. i was literally exhausted falling asleep at my desk like whoa i'm i'm my grandfather right now <laughs> like what just happened yeah so i feel it for everyone out there who's like touring and especially if you're doing the van and trailer type of touring which is what i was yes. doing that's brutal outside in the sun summer heat it's like man what is happening i'm old this is a young guy's game <laughs> yeah uh, when you are traveling on the road and people are like, oh, you're going here, you're going there. I'm like, I'm telling you, it all looks like Earth. Yeah. Even when it's majestic, it's majestic <laughs> for about eight minutes. And then it looks like Earth. <laughs> and so it's just, I mean, luckily we have so many devices. When I was touring, we had that the original drum machines and a set of headphones. That was your only entertainment. Oh, yeah. And then wow. towards the end of my touring uh, life span all of a sudden we got eh, well you got an airplane coming in i'll i can see the window behind you if something lands in your guys's yard isn't that a cemetery it is it's yeah a cemetery. If something lands in the cemetery i'll let you know it's like every right now around this fine. time there's a plane that goes right over our building <laughs> it's the podcast plane uh but yeah i remember like right around the time that i was finishing touring we were getting portable dvd players but those only had enough battery to watch the first 40 minutes of a DVD. Oh, true. But, so now, it, at least you have a little bit more entertainment, but that stuff can be tough. I, people ask me all the time, oh, do you love traveling? Do you love all the places you get to go? And I just let them know, I just love once I'm there. Mm-hmm. Once I'm there, we're good. It's just all the travel that kind of, it wears you out. And then, especially if you're doing a lot of traveling internationally, the, it feels like right when I get my clock back set to like, okay, cool. I'm back on my routine. I'm going to the gym at five 30 in the morning. I'm doing my thing. I'm going to bed at eight 30 at night. Then I fly somewhere else and it ruins it all over again. So, uh, well, I'm glad that you were able to get up for this podcast. Uh, do you have any plans for 4th of July? My mother-in-law is coming in town. So that'll be, okay. and I'm, uh, I'm actually subbing for our, our boy Carter all weekend. Okay. Oh, okay. So just 4th of July is my only day off. I'll have just grill some food and that's it. I'm assuming your mother-in-law doesn't listen to this podcast, so you can just open up. Do you guys get along? Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, buddy. Of course. 
That's all right. Just talk to me. Whatever. I mean, you know. Yeah, of course. But the thing is, <laughs> I'm an introverted person that needs a lot of personal space. So it, it doesn't matter. I don't care who is in my house if they don't live there. <laughs> you know, after a while, right, I'm like, yeah. okay, I need to go take a walk or something. Doesn't doesn't matter yeah. who it is. I just I just I'm, need I'm a lot same. of alone time. It's just my personality. I won the the in law lottery, and it's the same thing. Where it's like, I just I don't. I don't know because I feel like I don't have anything else to talk about besides the drums. Mm. They don't care, and so it's like we get we get the travel questions out of the way nice and quick. Yeah. So how was Greece? It was like oh, it's still there. It was amazing. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't know what to tell you. Like I feel like a jerk going like, oh, so beautiful. You should have seen the villa we stayed at. <laughs> so I don't want. So I just go. Oh, it was great. And then there's silence, and then so luckily her dad and I both are into sports. Mm-hmm. So so my father-in-law, as soon as there's that awkward silence, I'm like, did you hear the Kings got four more guards that won't start for us? <laughs> Pretty awesome. <laughs> By the way, are you a Nets fan or a, or a Knicks fan? Or neither? Uh, neither, and I think the, okay. I think the Nets made the worst decision. I really did. By bringing in Kevin Durant. I think Kevin Durant is not going to come back and be able to be who he was before. He's too tall. That Achilles tendon is too long for it to ever recover. (laughs) Look at you and your tallestness. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. I'm sorry. He might be be good. He's not going to be KD good, I don't think. Yeah. I mean, he doesn't have to be on the ball as much as he was in the Bay Area. He's he's got Kyrie Irving there now. But now what's the sense on the East Coast is are the Brooklyn Nets – cooler than the Knicks. I mean, the Knicks haven't done anything in over two decades. No, I think the Knicks here, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not a local New Yorker. Like, I wasn't born on the Knicks, but I think they're a joke. They're like the Harlem Globetrotters kind of okay. right now. It's just it's just silly. But they are the Knicks. They do play in Madison Square Garden, so they will always have yeah. a certain cachet, Something. but the Nets sure. are definitely taking the next level. I think yeah. once they moved from Jersey to Brooklyn, it became cool to like them. Yeah, but they were good when they were in Jersey. I mean, they went to the playoffs a bunch. Jason oh, yeah. Kidd era. Yeah. I mean, yeah, yeah, I remember that. But yeah, I don't All right, really. Well, I don't really. I'm not a fan of either team, so I don't really care. Okay. Well, now that we've lost half of our <laughs> listeners, let's get into some drum talk. Uh, uh, I wanted to I've talk got- about something that happened at the gig over the weekend, if you don't mind. Yeah, bring it. So I did four shows in a row of essentially the same material. Okay. And so you get into that mode where like now you're just. 100% muscle memory. Everything is kind of autopilot, and hopefully people listening can relate. You can start to just kind of detach yourself mentally and observe things from afar a little bit. Sure. You know, just playing the music and everything was cool. So I started to just like observe what do I actually sound like and who are my influences, like obvious influences now. And they've shifted. They've, they've shifted really? in a big way. I was hearing my right hand, 100% Keith Carlock touch like trying to get really light and a lot of you know off the mm. off the cymbals kind of a vibe okay my left hand and bass drum near Z I'm trying to slice the drums in half like that's my my objective wow. and that's totally different than it was 10 years ago sure it would have yeah. been Steve Jordan Matt Chamberlain Vinnie Cayuta I think Matt Chamberlain is kind of out of my out of my vibe now Okay, and Jordan to a certain extent because I I don't think I can pull off the the sloppy funky thing. Yeah, I mean, it, you know, you and I when we reference those guys, we always reference our past. When you talk about your present, at least from what I've observed over the last year, it's always either Near Z or Shannon Forrest. It's yeah. always m- modern session guys. Yeah, and that's starting to to really be apparent 
to me and wow. also like the way I'm physically moving at the instrument this is a weird one but uh, our girl Paris Paris uh, oh. the way she moves at the drums yep. I found myself kind of swaying like that I'm like damn that's the first time someone on in, on Instagram has, has influenced me in a very She's specific such a way so it's just interesting to see like yeah Okay, my influences have definitely morphed totally different than they were before. There's no Vinny. Really, there's really no Vinny cool. in me. Any, like it's it's really interesting. I could see that. I could see you having the ability to go there if you wanted to or if you needed to. But I don't really hear it in your playing. Now, obviously, I'm not getting the chance to hear you play your pop gigs. I only get to hear the experimental stuff you do on Instagram. Mm. But I I just know. From doing this with you for so long, for 199 hours, <laughs> 99 actually plus. way way more than that because of all the ones that we had to do twice. Right. Because someone named Mike messed it up. I don't want to say if it's me or you, but oh God, it might have been. Yes, I'm recording. <laughs> yeah, I know. I'm looking at my Pro Tools screen right now. So, um, but when I hear you get excited, it's always about that stuff not about the fusion stuff from your past mm-hmm. even if it's a modern version of it that doesn't seem to be what turns you on drumming wise anymore it's always somebody's flawless and relentless pursuit of time it's their ability to articulate the time uh and and yeah so i i it doesn't surprise me but i think that's really cool that you had the ability or the the time in a to be able to play the same stuff four times in a row to just reflect in the moment rather yeah. than having to do it through watching videos of yourself. Yeah. I mean, that was the other part of it. It's just to get into that mode of like really observing yourself from a, from a, your mind's eye or something. It was, it's pretty sure. cool. So that, that kind of makes me wish I did more of that because most of the gigging I do is like learn the material the day before and hold on for dear life. So you never get a chance to really kind right. of settle in and like, how does this really feel? And how does this really sound? It's just, did we mess up? No. Okay, cool. Next song. I can <clears throat> totally see that. Awesome, man. Well, that's very, very cool. Yeah. Whatever, man. What are you up to? <laughs> <laughs> I am practicing. Uh, I'm practicing soloing again. Uh, oh, I've yeah? got, yeah. So we, uh, I have, a few things coming up. I have a clinic in Belfast, Ireland. I also have the 21 Drums clinic that'll happen. Uh, so I've got those two things coming up in Ireland. Uh, and then I've got a few clinics and master classes coming up in Singapore. So I'm just starting to get back into soloing, but I'm trying to see if I can get to that place where the solo isn't fully through composed yeah so we should do a full segment on how to start soloing but what are you doing so here's my point of reference i work with a lot of songwriters Mm -hmm. and it seems like almost all of them write songs exactly the same way every time and 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 for me i'm thinking well that's probably why all your songs kind of sound the same because you you always start with one thing either it's a lyric or a chord progression or rather than like shifting entirely say what's the complete opposite of the way i could write a piece of music and let me try that and i'm thinking because i haven't been practicing so in a while but that's what i want to do very soon it's like every day 100 percent, totally different approach compose a piece of music just do it yeah i i mean i think because i have events that are coming up that puts a certain amount of pressure that i don't have enough time to explore myself which i might do starting in 2020 when all my touring's done and I've got mm-hmm. six months. But I am going with a completely different approach. Usually what I do is 
I find what I think the climax will be, and then I reverse engineer that and get myself up to that climax and whatever it is. So I remember for... um, for the Pasic solo, it was what I called like my melodic samba. It was just a samba pattern, but the way I spread it across the kit, I knew that was the end. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had to get there. This is the opposite approach, which is I'm starting with medium tempo eighth notes on a ride cymbal, and I'm going to explore that as far as I can. Mm. And then I will go to my next chapter, but it's a tempo that I'm committing to. And I want to see, I, I'm really trying to find how much self-control do I have? Like, how long can I stay playing cool to listen to or ideas that are cool to listen to before I freak out and play something that I think is impressive, impressive. to listen to? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so I'm trying really hard to sing like as I'm playing. And I'm really trying to sing catchy stuff and put that on the drum set and think, look, in all honesty, there's a good chance, depending on the order that we go, that before you hear me play drums uh, in Dublin, before you hear me play drums, you will have either heard Ash Stone, Sput, or Mark Juliana. Mm-hmm. I'm probably not going to impress you. That's a bad move to be like, okay, let's cage fight it out. Mm-hmm. So all I can do is appeal to the human side of everyone that's in that crowd and play stuff that's fun to listen to, whether they're a drummer or not. Mm-hmm. instead of trying to impress them with drumness. So I'm, I'm doing that as much as I can. Every time I sit on the kit, that's the first thing I do. I start going ding, 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 ding. And then I just see where it takes me until I get to a place where I'm like, that was really fun to play and fun to listen to. I think that's the other thing is a lot of times my the climax of my drum solo is something that's very difficult for me to play. And I'm actually kind of nervous about it the entire solo because mm. I'm like, God, right, right. You're building up. Did to I that, start yeah. this whole thing too fast? If yeah. we're five BPM too fast, <laughs> I can't play that thing. That's going to be out of my wheelhouse. I'm maxing out. I want to play something that will allow people. I don't want to have to remind myself to smile when I play. Let's put mm-hmm. it that way. I want to smile because what I played is making me happy. Mm-hmm. And I want people to see that when I play with my band. I don't remind myself to smile. I'm having the time of my life, and that's why my band always plays for the camp, is so that people can see that. I don't care if you like our music. I just want you to see how happy we are. I haven't ever felt that way on the drums by myself yet. I feel that way with tracks. Mm -hmm. I don't feel that way in a solo where I'm like, this is really cool. Not badass, but cool. And that's what I'm I'm searching for. So you got to pick an easier climax, dude. Well, yeah, my climax is a rough. (laughs) One single... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> it's a single stroke four. I mean, it's a four stroke rub, you know. It's okay. All right. <laughs> yeah. That's it. So it's ding, ding, flack a ching, peg it to ding. Thank you. All right. That, that, that should settle the mind. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I, I don't. I guess what I'm saying is on this one, I don't know that there will be a climax. I might be mm. taking that out. Hey, here's three minutes of me exploring this thing, and I'm going to stay here, and I'm going to bring it down, and then press my space bar, and I'll start a track. I don't need you to have a standing ovation yeah, every yeah. time I play the yeah. drum set. That reminds me of when I first saw Susie um, Ibarra do a clinic or a solo. I don't know who that is. She's like a a, a modern art performance artist, so it's okay. it's drumming, but it's more kind of a performance art version of drumming. Okay. And she was describing the way that she thinks of it as there's their vignettes their scenes there is no linear it's not start and finish it's just mm. i'm playing this event and then i just go to the next event so there's no pressure to like tell a whole story within each chapter yeah it's just this is the sound of 
whatever eggs frying right and i'm going to play that for a while and i'm going to shift That's to cool. another sound that blew that kind of blew my mind at the time i never even thought of music existing like it's just like a yeah it's like you're just watching a scene you're just watching nature for 10 minutes and then you right. look at it's like sunny and then you go to snowy <laughs> you know there's no progression yeah. between the two well when we do hit this as a full topic i think that brings up the difference between having a massive vocabulary or well having a massive vocabulary and not having anything to say or having a limited vocabulary but having something you have to get off your chest and mm-hmm. i've definitely felt a lot of times it's like it's not that i don't have anything i can play it's that i have nothing to say yeah I'm yeah. not tormented. That's I'm not important. upset. Yeah. I'm not angry. <laughs> and so it's like, so honestly, that's kind of what I'm trying to bring to this new solo is I want to bring joy to it. Cause I, I'm in a good place. Like mm-hmm. I'm happy. Yeah. I want to bring that. I don't want to, you know, I don't know, be something I'm not. And I've been trying to do that with my teaching and now I'm trying to do that with my playing. So that's what's going on with me and the drums. But that brings up something about linear drumming because that's our topic for education (laughs) playing melodically while using linear drumming this is an article by jeff ryan and this is in the current issue of modern drummer with anderson pock on the cover we will be discussing him later Uh, so obviously i'm a fan of linear drumming it was if you guys don't know what it is no big deal all it refers to is playing anything where you, where you don't play any two limbs at the same time. So your basic pop rock beat is nonlinear because the very first note you play is bass drum and hi-hat together. Uh, mm. So if you played, if you took out the downbeats on the hi-hat and had a little bit more of a disco upbeat feel, then it would be linear as long as you don't play four on the floor on the bass. But linear was the way, it was what unlocked my ability to speak between my hands and my feet in straight 16th notes. I felt that maybe because I was a kid that grew up on Buddy Rich and Louis Belson in the big band world, I had these hand chops, but the bass drum either just played constant quarters underneath it or just stayed out of the way. Mm-hmm. And I, so I could play with my hands and then at the end I could be like, doom, like a cherry on top. You get one bass drum right at the end of my phrase. But when I would see people maybe, you know, as a kid, uh, David Garibaldi, Rod Morgenstein, Simon Phillips, they would speak between their hands and their foot and yeah. and even though that is very common, if you if you study Elvin Jones or Tony Williams, I wasn't in that world. So seeing it in more of a straight sixteenth world, that's what opened the doors for me. And then I found Future Sounds by Garibaldi, and that led me on the path to really get into linear drumming. Um, you know, who was one of the first I saw do it very clearly was uh, Greg Bissonette. The way oh, he yeah. was playing absolutely in the, the mid nineties, it was it was for me it was like the most identifiable and it's like he has a he's a brilliant way to play things that are just easy to understand but also really cool and interesting and it really captivated me because he did a lot of it with his left foot he would use the left foot to kind of interject rhythms and things yeah and and i think for me i mean not that i wasn't all about bissonette in david lee roth's band diamond dave (laughs) eat him and smile was the bomb greg i was all about eat him and smile but i think seeing it was other drummers telling me, oh, you should check out Steve Gadd and seeing these like TV show appearances from the seventies where I just thought that's, that's the vocabulary I'm looking for. That's Uh, the stuff, you know, but you have to be careful just because you work on linear drumming. It's very rare that something you play is entirely linear, linear Mm. drumming unlocks something for you. And I mean, I would say at the most, I go two beats, two quarter notes worth of time, 
playing something linear before there's a kick and a cymbal together. So I don't think, all right, it's a rule that can't be broken. Here comes linear drumming for the next 16 bars. It's just a way that I can speak between my hands and my feet and break things up. I'm trying to think of like in the past 15 years, since I got out of music school, have I done anything that involves anything linear? Maybe the song Breakdown by Tom Petty. That's, okay. that's sort of linear. It is linear yeah. if you play it the way that like Ferroni uh, orchestrated it. But that's about it. So yeah, it's. I think it, it shows up more in fills probably right. for most yeah. situations. Or, or just improvising in general. So yeah. with Jeff, Jeff's article, he's talking about taking these linear patterns and these are just it's just one bar of 16th notes um <clears throat> the first one he's got he's got a kick on the downbeat of one then two rights three lefts a right another kick and some more hand it's it's a pretty simple linear pattern mm-hmm. i would get the pattern down but then what he's talking about is melody so one thing i want to think about is once you have a pattern whether you call it creating a melody or working on your orchestration there's different ways you can say it or mm-hmm. movement around the kit what do you consider to be melody I think a lot of drummers initially think melody means that you turned your snares off and played something. Uh, I'm playing Mm. melodically. I turned my snares off and it's like, okay, to me, a melody has to be something that I could almost sing back to you. Yeah. And it can use just two pitches, high Tom and low Tom. That's fine. But I don't think it's you ripping chops around the kit with three toms or with your snares off. I think it, it has to be almost repetitive sometimes. Yeah, it's a good question. I would think it has to have some kind of up and down movement to make it actually melodic, so it's not monotone. Um, Which could, which we're talking about, you could use the toms for that. But yeah, I think it, yeah, something has to be memorable because otherwise it's not a melody in most cases. Um, Yeah. But yeah, so the the premise of the article is this is these are a couple beats that Jeff wrote for for music that he actually played on. So he takes takes us through his process. But I think it's probably a process that anyone who's studied linear drumming goes through. So maybe we could just kind of go step by step through it. Like sure. first step one, write a write up a phrase of sixteenth notes. It could be one measure, it could be half a measure, and orchestrate it between two surfaces: bass drum and snare drum. Right? That would yeah, be step I, one. I, Step one for me, even in my linear drumming book, is pattern. What is the pattern that could be played if you didn't own drumsticks? By right, stomping yeah. on the ground and playing on your hands lap. There feet, has to yeah. be a pattern. Hands and feet before you start flying all over the drum set. So then I think the first logical thing is lock one hand on the snare drum and start moving the other hand. And if you're a right-handed drummer, that would make sense to use only the right hand to then move to the toms. Right. That would be the first for, melodic thing. For my students, one thing I have them do, and just if we go back in time to our very beginning of drumming, we know that when we learned the paradiddle, it was the paradiddle. And then as soon as we moved it somewhere, it was not the paradiddle, and there was some devil's work going on. Mm-hmm. And we were like, okay, what happened to the paradiddle? So with my students, it's move the right hand somewhere, keep the left hand on the snare, but stay in that position. I want you to, I want your ear to be okay with right hand is on rack tom, left hand is on snare drum. Mm-hmm. Stay there. Then once you feel comfortable with that, left hand is on rack tom, right hand is on the side of the shell of the floor tom. And mm-hmm. we're just... We're, we're waiting for your ear to accept these different sounds. And then the next step is movement of right hand. And then the next step after that is movement of both hands. Okay, and keeping so that you, pattern intact. you lock one each hand on a different surface first. Yeah, exactly. Okay. Okay. Just, just waiting for them to get used to that. And a lot of times that surface is, the, is their lap. 
So I want their right stick playing something that makes no sound and their left stick playing something that makes sound mm-hmm. so they hear what each hand is doing individually. Um, the, the key for me, or at least for my freedom of moving linear patterns around the drum set or any pattern really, is can I keep singing that pattern without singing the melody as I'm moving it? Because mm-hmm. if I'm only singing the melody... Then if I hit a rim on accident, it throws my brain off because my, my brain says, that's wrong. We were supposed to hear doom and we heard clink. Mm-hmm. But if I'm only if I'm singing the pattern always, whether I hit the felt of a cymbal or hit a floor tom, it's the same thing to me because I was singing the pattern. So when do you so I would think. So you do you lock each hand on a different surface, explore sure. that, get accustomed to that, then you explore moving one hand to different surfaces would you at any point move both hands to different surfaces like yes like exploring randomly yes so that's so i guess what i'm saying is that that step of the orchestration is i break orchestration up into multi-parts like Mm -hmm. first lock the hands somewhere lock them again lock them again lock them again we do that like five different times then right hand is free left Mm -hmm. hand is staying on the snare and then our final step is full orchestrational freedom and moving both hands around the kit i would think the collegiate level would be all right now we got accents and ghost notes to start adding yes so now you're adding an extra layer of melody and counter melody to your orchestration yeah so so that brings back then we get rid of the orchestration uh and then that the right hand is loud, the left is ghosted. Then the right is ghosted, the left is loud. That's just on a single surface. And then we bring the orchestration oh, okay. back for all of that. So you break it back uh, down. Yeah. Um, it's it's a long process to get something down. And uh, the one thing that Jeff is talking about in this is, is he's kind of breaking down that process. And one thing I've noticed with people that do this, the process itself is always the same. It's the order in which they do the process that changes from drummer to drummer. Mm-hmm. Some people are like, the first thing I do is start moving around the kit. And the mm. last thing I do is play it on my hands and knees. I'm like, oh, okay, whatever works for you. I but eventually, you're going to do all those steps. I've never really taught you know, someone to go through a linear. But now that I'm thinking about it, I would probably start with one surface and then do the accents. So it would be get used to the pattern, maybe lock hands on different patterns, then do accents. Because... For me, if I go straight into orchestrating everything in a monotone dynamic, that doesn't sound very musical to me. Like I, so, as soon as I do that, I'm automatically adding accents because of the way the pattern flows. Yep, that's just my intuition. So if I was going to break it down, I would probably have to do the accent and ghost note part first. So that's it for our campers that come here. We have a course called "From Page to the Gig." How do we get it from on a page all the way to the gig? Step one is pattern. We learn the pattern outside. We're all sitting on thrones and we're just slapping hands and knees. Get the pattern down. The second step for us is um, timing. And we, instead of locking in the time to a quarter note click, we start with 16th notes and we mm-hmm. grid it all up. Then we go to eighth notes. That way the click is responsible for half the time. We're responsible for half the time. Then we go to quarter notes. Then we go to half notes. So now that timing reinforced the pattern. Mm-hmm. Step three is dynamics and that's where we do all of that just like you said step four is orchestration okay step five is speed maxing this thing out and while all those other steps are happening you're playing with a click you're moving it around you're bringing in the accents and then step six is the one that everyone leaves out 
practical application. You have to play this stuff with a song, otherwise it'll never show up on the gig. Mm-hmm. If you can't handle the distraction of vocal lines and melodies from bass and and the sounds that are going on and you can't play with that, you, you're not. it's not going to show up on the gig. You're going to paralyze yourself by going, no, I'll do it next time. I'll do it next <laughs> chorus. No, you won't. And then if you do, you'll be so mortified that you train wrecked it that you'll never do it again. Now so here, so that, that's, that brings up another kind of subtopic of, I think, and I've had a few of my mentors kind of confirm this, you have to go to the point of absurdity with that before you can then realize how does it work and how does it not work. I don't think think you can go immediately into like what's the tasteful way to apply this. You kind of have to do all of it all the time and then slowly say, well, that's just absurd or where, you know, how does it fit? Absolutely. And I think that a lot of things take shapes that you weren't planning on. Sometimes I'll write out, this is a linear groove for my book. And then I practice it and practice it and practice it. And I go, that is a way cooler fill than it is a groove. I never mm. meant for it to be a fill, but man, it's a tasty fill. I just don't want to hear it for 300 bars. I don't <laughs> mind hearing it for one bar. I just don't need to hear it that much. <laughs> so you go through all that stuff. You find the speed. I think every I think every single groove or every pattern that we can come up with has a home tempo where it's like, man, that is the sweet spot. We can mm. all play a shuffle a lot faster than we play it, but there's a sweet spot where it's like, yeah, but it feels really good right there. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I find the sweet spot of these things. And that's why I think this article is really cool because Jeff's talking about, I didn't write this for a modern drummer article. These are for songs that I actually played on. Yeah. You know? And uh, he also, I think somewhere in there, he mentions Kraftwerk and all the German bands that were programming this stuff yep. and how he kind of modeled this after that, which I New thought order. was really cool. Yep, Depeche Mode. Yep. Yeah, because it is kind of like a old school drum machine kind of visualization. You've got 16 spaces you either play spaces, a note yep. or you don't play a note right yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just kind of fill it in and is it going to be the tom or the cymbal uh, yeah, that could be a sub a subplot as well get yourself a drum machine app if you don't have a drum machine get like an old classic drum machine app and you're limited to like it's a grid of 16 you either play a note or you don't play a note and then see yep. what kind of new beats you can come up with that I do that all the time with the Groove Scribe where they're just dots. I just fill them in. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I fill in something way more creative than I could have ever done by sitting on the drum set. And then yeah. I just have to, it's my job to go out there and recreate it. Yeah. It's, it's, a, it's a lot of fun. So, uh, so guys, check out this article, especially if you're just learning about linear drumming. Uh, I think Jeff did a really good job on this. And uh, I'm just scrolling down. There's no video of it, but. I'm assuming since he tracked it for an album, he can play this stuff very well. So yeah, the references out. for the songs are in the article, so you can go to the okay. website and you can you can check out the tracks. Fantastic. What's right. next, buddy? So I guess we should talk about the cover artist. So the August issue, we are yeah today yeah it's it's out. So if you haven't gotten your copy yet, it should be coming in the mail. Or if you get our digital subscriber, it's available now. Or if you shop in stores, old school vibe, it should be on the shelf. So our cover artist is Anderson Pock, um, who, if you're not familiar with, is kind of a triple threat: songwriter, drummer, singer, maybe a quadruple threat dancer, Stud. <laughs> maybe a quintuple threat visual it's, artist. It's it's, uh, <laughs> it's unfair. How can one man have so much talent? <laughs> Uh, you know, amazing. and the, the thing that's pretty cool about Anderson as a drummer is for most of us, he came to us in a way that we didn't know he played drums. 
and mm. then maybe you saw him on the NPR thing, which we'll play a clip from later, where we're going like, wait, the singer's playing drums? And then yeah, you realize, yeah. wait a minute, I don't think the singer's playing drums. I think the drummer is singing. Yeah, I think they're one and the same. Yeah, it's just. Yeah, yeah, exactly. It's, and then it's like, wait a minute, come on, you got to suck at one, right? <laughs> I'm not going to call anybody out, but there are some singers that play drums where you're like, clearly you're a singer. <laughs> now let's talk about the ones who are great. I mean, obviously, okay. Phil Collins, great Phil. at both. Yep. Don Henley, I think, is a great example of a perfectly melodic drummer and an amazing singer. I don't think somebody somebody that I haven't studied, but I I've heard. I mean, obviously, I know who he is, but I haven't. I've never seen him play drums, uh, but I've heard great things about him. Uncle Phil, Devon Helm again. Oh, for sure, one of the best singers of all time, and also one of the grooviest drummers of all time. But you know, the the list kind of runs short pretty quickly. Quickly, yeah, I agree. Uh, Well, I would put Anderson up there with some of the greats. Absolutely, the. The thing that's great about watching him is it seems similar to Uncle Phil. It seems that his drumming and his vocals don't need to be married together. He writes drum parts that are the best for the song, no matter how difficult it would be to play those parts while singing a counter melody. And then he makes it work. Mm -hmm. But the drums are not trying to just make the vocal stuff easier. Uh, Mm -hmm. There's certain things that on his... uh, on his Malibu album and on his newest releases where I'm going, oh my gosh, how could you play that on drum? I can't even play it and I'm not singing. Mm-hmm. How can he play it on drums and then sing over the top of it, especially when he's not singing? The man doesn't sing in quarter notes. Yeah, no, it's, it's pretty amazing. We should probably play. Let's drop in some of the NPR thing. So if you go to NPR Music's uh, YouTube channel, there's a 15-minute f- clip of it. It's Anderson Pock in the Free Nationals NPR Music Tiny Desk Concert. I love this clip because you, you, there's no hiding anything. They're playing every single note, and he's singing yep. every single line. So let's check out a little bit of that. You take your shots from afar. I'm going to meet you at your front door. So hard to be doing what you really meant for beauty. But don't I make it look easy? That one song can be studied for a lifetime for so many reasons. Yeah. Do you want to learn how to make your cross stick sound like a sample? Yep. And he's not hitting hard. He's hitting hit really light. Crazy light. <laughs> uh, do you want to learn how to have insane amount of feel and freedom in that right hand? Yeah. By the way, don't be fooled by how chill that sounds. Play that song with that actual YouTube clip. Your right hand will run out of gas fast. <laughs> If you're trying to play it that dynamic and you're not using a ton of momentum to get it. Uh, And, I mean, there's just so much going on there. Uh, And he's one of those guys that also uses his fingers as his ghost notes. And there's so much going on in that clip. I've watched that same song with every group of campers because we usually have our Gadsden groove days and our James Gadsden days. And I'll show them a modern version of that and where that thing's gone. And it's usually using Anderson Pock and Nate Smith to show where that thing's gone. And yeah, that that's just incredible. And, and that sounds great. I got to do a special uh, props to whoever mixes these concerts. They always sound so good. I know. It's unbelievable. I, I mean, that hi-hat is like the best sounding hi-hat. And, you know, right. I don't know. Are there any mics on the drums at all? <laughs> you know, it's there, like hard. No, there's like a vocal mic. And I feel like, <laughs> yeah, I don't. it's pretty amazing. Uh, yeah. Uh, it, and so if you haven't seen Anderson Pock play on any of this stuff, 
see it, but also he did some educational videos, right? Was it for? Oh yeah, the ProMark thing. It was like the ProMark a, stuff, uh, right? Yeah, he did like a throwback, like '80s style VCR tape. That was awesome with his bass player. Yeah, yeah, they were good. So good, so good. He's uh, truly a student of the drums as much as he is anything else, which I think is, you know, I think for some people not knowing he, who he is, I think oh, he's a pop star that plays drums. Now he's he. I think he wanted to be a drummer more than he wanted to be a star, and he had to be convinced that. You should do both. Like that's that yeah. were people in his life are like, no, you really should be doing both of these things. You know, it's uh, we left somebody out big time on our list, and that's Josh Dion. Oh yeah, modern day. Yeah, true. Yeah, I yeah. Mean, absolute stud. And and this is Anderson reminds me of Josh of that that torment torment that they probably have gone through of everyone being like, you're so good at singing. They're like, dude, I'm a drummer. Like, I know, but there's a lot of drummers. Not Wasn't everyone that Phil can Collins sing. Story like he didn't want to sing. He just yeah. was born with golden pipes, and he had to do it. <laughs> well, yeah, it, it was originally to just to get them through a few gigs. It wasn't, yeah. you know. And then eventually they were like, "Dude, you should kind of be the, the singer." And yeah, you kind of have the greatest voice in pop right now. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, so let's do this, and let and. Uh, but you know what. Well, that'll be for another day. Someday we'll do the Peter Gabriel, (laughs) Phil Collins story. I will be happy to go down that rabbit hole. But for now, let's stick on Anderson. So, like I said, if you haven't seen him, check him out. You can find plenty of stuff. But really, this one 15-minute clip from NPR, uh, it's from the Tiny Desk concert series. It's just worth watching because not only is Anderson an insane talent, the band is fantastic. And they're all playing as dynamically as Anderson is. It's a really fun watch. For sure. And there's just one line in his story I wanted to, to pull out here um, that is a reminder for myself. Like they were asking about, the, the writer was asking him, you know, why he became a drummer. And the question was, you know, you saw the power of the instrument to move people because he was talking about seeing people dance. And then his answer was, yeah, that was it. I could make people groove and change people's moods. Once I'd wow. seen that I could do that, I was practicing all the time. It's just a reminder, like, that's the goal. I mean, everything else, to be impressive or to be cool, no. Your your objective is to change people's lives. <laughs> and it's yeah. very powerful that you can do that with a drum set. You can't really do totally that with, I don't think you do that with an electric guitar, maybe? Change people's lives. Know. Change people's moods. It's it's the most primal instrument we have. Yeah. There's something about it, and you know, uh, it's been used to signify war. It's been used to signify peace. I mean, uh, I joked at a, a presentation a couple of years ago that that this country in particular would be in a better place if there was a congressional drummer. Like every time Congress convened, they had to walk into some grooves. <laughs> oh, that's a great idea, right? I mean, it's a great idea. You want to make an argument? Go sit at the drum kit and play a groove for for eight bars, and then you can <laughs> make. Then you can have your your argument be heard. Oh goodness! <laughs> right when things are getting heated, you just fade in a little bossa nova. Yeah, I mean anything. You can't you can't be a bigot if if there's someone yeah. laying down a funk groove behind you. I mean, you can't. That's be. a good point. <laughs> that's a good point, and it's. Especially if it can, if a lot of this can take place in DC, if you just play a go go groove all the time, right. who's in a bad mood when they're I'm going to nominate Anderson Pock to be the con- congressional drummer Oof. musician. Oh, change <laughs> the world. 
change the world, Anderson. All right, everybody, check out the cover story in this month's issue of Modern Drummer. Anderson Pock is absolutely amazing. You take your shots from afar, I'm gonna meet you at your front door. So hard to be doing what you really meant for beauty. But don't I make it look easy? Don't I make it look good? It's time to thank our sponsors. Start with Dream Symbols. Um, I mentioned in the intro that they have a really cool uh, pre-packed stacker set that if you're into special effects with smaller symbols, tight, kind of dry, articulate sounds. Um, I misspoke. They have a stack 10 and a stack 14. There's no 12. So it's a pair of, it's a 10-inch pang and a 10-inch splash. That's one combo. And there's also a 14-inch crash and a 14-inch stacker uh, pang. They're designed to fit together perfectly. You can, you know, reverse the order of which one's on top and which one's upside down and get all kinds of different types of sound. We're going to drop in some audio that I recorded back when I originally reviewed these things. So this is the uh, 10 and the 14-inch Pang Stacker combo. Uh, they were designed with the artist, Libor Hadrava. So let's check it out. This is the Dream uh, Pang Stacker combos. So if you dig those sounds, go down to your local dealer, um, request they order them, or you could probably find them online at a appropriate dealer of your choice. That's the Dream Symbols Pang Stacker Combos. This episode is also brought to you by Sweetwater. So I'm going to run down some of the promos they have going on for the entire month of July. The big one, um, starting now, the first week, is they are going to do a giveaway for a DW... Uh, it's a performance series kit, which uh, four-piece shell pack, 22-inch bass drum, gold sparkle finish ply. Go to sweetwater.com slash giveaway. You can get uh, entered into that. And then on their Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram pages, they're going to be doing a bunch of different giveaways throughout the month, so keep an eye on those pages. Uh, one of the um, deals is going to be on a Pearl Roadshow five-piece kit, which comes with symbols, has a 22-inch bass drum, and has an aqua blue glitter finish. And then towards the middle of the month, they are going to be doing extended financing options of up to 48 months of interest-free on a huge selection of brands and products and some bundles and different blowouts, uh, price drops, all that kind of stuff. And then towards the end of the month, you've got a DW hardware bundle that's going to be um, going up for a giveaway. That's a 3000 series pack that includes a throne. So you get a throne, bass drum, pedal, a cymbal stand, a hi-hat stand, and a snare drum stand. And then the the end of the month, they're going to do a special promo on Evan's bass drum heads. So you can get some special deals on EMADs and, and EQ4s and all their different options, caftones. So the link to really check out is sweetwater.com slash dealzone slash drum hyphen percussion hyphen deals. I'm sure you can find that if you just go to sweetwater.com. You'll see a link to that. But this is the Drum Month giveaway, entire month of July. So take advantage of all the deals, enter into the contests, um, and just shop around, sweetwater.com. All right. Now it is time to get into some candy. Yamaha. 
product close-up. This is the live custom hybrid oak drum set. Without a doubt, this thing was a showstopper at NAMM. When you walked by it, you just had to kind of stop and mm-hmm. just touch it. You had to touch it. Yep, yep. There's a lot of things going for it. This is um, visually, it the finish is really unique. It's, what do they call it? It's a, a Japanese process. Um, where the heck it does it? It's not the burning process, is it? Uzukuri, Japanese oh, okay. technique called Uzukuri, where they sand out because it's, you know, the the oak has a lot of grain. So they sand out the lower line pieces of the grain. Okay. So then it's like this kind of valleys and ridges in, in the wood. And then they put a layer of paint on it that fills in the valley. They sand off the upper layer to reveal the raw wood. And then they finish it. So you've got this dark valleys and then this beautiful rich wood uh finish on the outside it's it's absolutely gorgeous which is pretty Um, striking i agree uh so i thought i was (laughs) sorry i thought i was looking at it everything was going well and then i i hit some random thing and all of a sudden it took me to pinterest they're like do you like to pin this kit i'm like no (laughs) Gretch is gonna be pissed if i pin this (laughs) okay so now i'm back looking at this kit okay so give me the size breakdown of what you were reviewing so we got the five piece setup which is a seven by ten and eight by twelve rack toms a 15 by 16 floor tom and an 18 by 22 inch bass drum and there was also a matching five and a half by 14 snare all of it has a seven ply shell which is oak but in the center of it is a sheet of phenolic polymer which i had to kind of think about where i've heard that before that isn't a lot of um, synthetic marimba bars is made with phenolic oh. which makes sense for yamaha because they make those kind of marimbas and that's why this is called a live hybrid. custom hybrid yep exactly so you get this synthetic plastic polymer core and then you've got wood surrounding it and this is not an entry-level kit this is one of their big boy kits right this is a, yeah it's about as high as it gets next to the phoenix it's about as high as it gets i think the okay. list price for the show packs are like five to five to eight grand something like that okay so let's give it a listen and then i want to get your impression on it
All right. So, yeah, I mean, that's exactly what I would expect out of any high end Yamaha kit. It does not matter what it feels like or what it sounds like to you. Microphones love Yamaha kits. And that was just two overheads and a bass drum mic in front of the unported, unmuffled bass drum. Two mics. Oh. Yep. Two mics. Well, now I say (laughs) what I just said with more passion. (laughs) Damn! And I played a a live, the old, the original live custom, which is just oak. I played that at a festival just this past week, and I was reminded again, that kit... It makes sense why they called it the live custom kit. It's perfect for backline sound companies. It always sounds great. It it punches through no matter how loud the band is. It's very dynamic. Yeah. It's very responsive. So then I thought it back about this kit. And what this provides is an extra kind of dark punchiness that gives it just kind of more vibe. It makes that kind of like utilitarian oak custom kit more vibey. Wow. And also a little bit drier. So it just I yeah. Didn't have it, to I mean, the anything. decay was so fast. Yeah, yeah. In, have to do in all the tunings, even in the high tunings. Yep, exactly. They hit and quit. It's like to have a built-in gate, to, like a perfect gate, not not too short. Um, yeah, it's a beastly kit. I mean, it's about I think um, for modern drumming drum sounds, this is cream of the crop in my opinion. This is definitely if I would say if I was starting a studio, no endorsements, a recording studio. This would be in my top five kits of just, it would be the house kit of our studio. Mm-hmm. If you don't have a quality drum set, we have this. And it's yep. going to be awesome no matter what. Um, so, yeah, so that was what, Clear Emperors and Clear Ambassadors? Yep. Yep. Clear and on the top. Bass drum, I think Emperors. it was a Clear Power Stroke 3 batter and just the Ebony. It might have been a Power Stroke front. I don't remember. It might have been just a single ply. Snare drum had an ambassador. You know, nothing, nothing fancy, no tape. Nothing, no, no gels. I didn't have to spend a ton of time tuning it. It's, it was again. It did exactly what I thought it would do, which I, I know Yamaha to be just easy, easy to work with, and they always sound good. Yeah. Well, it's a gorgeous kit visually. Which once we get into this price range, I kind of want the best of both worlds. I want my kit to look amazing, and I want it to sound amazing. Yeah. It's, it's too expensive for it not to, and. I don't think that this is overpriced in any way. Oh, by the way, um, on the hardware, just from the pictures, it looks like it's kind of that black chrome. Is, is that right? Yep. They okay. added the black chrome hardware to give it an even kind of more yeah. kind of vibey look to it. Yeah, it's, a, it's an amazing kit. And like I said, even when uh, I was at NAMM this year, I don't know if they had one or two of these on display, but I remember just stopping and having to touch it because the finish is so it looks just almost, unique. It almost looks like the paint's still wet. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah, exactly. I think they had the blue it, one there. The blue black okay. fade, yeah, yeah, it was gorgeous. And they all the all the details, like the bass drum claws. That's usually the first thing that I notice if something's not quite precisely made. Like it, you can feel the claw kind of grabbing when you tighten yep. it. These were just like butter. They just went. They just tuned up perfectly. Mm. And at the same time, I love Yamaha's hardware because it's just it does what it does, and there's no like it's not over the top. It doesn't take up a lot of space. It's not a lot of yeah. moving parts. You just tighten things down the, the toms mount right to the bass drum shell i mean it's it's get the job done you know what uh you just you just start bringing up some of those listener questions because a yamaha product is going to be my pick of the week and it will help so many people um so anyways awesome drum set <laughs> <laughs> no if you're in the market for a, a really high-end dream kit especially if you play kind of more more modern quote unquote styles or if you need something that can really project in the studio or on stage 
I don't think you're going to find anything that's going to beat this. It's just going to be down to whether or not you you like the vibe. Um, so just go to the website, check it out, check out the other finishes. I think all the finishes have the the black fade to some kind of colored finish. Okay, um, really cool kit. Yep. All right, so listener questions. Yep, bring it on. All right, let's see what do we got here. Um, this is from Adam C in Australia. In the past, I've found myself lacking motivation to practice. However, lately, because I've set myself some serious goals in terms of difficult songs I wish to play live with a band, I'm motivated more to practice lately. However, I have some volume restrictions where I am, and I can't have a permanent kit set up in my house and can't afford to rent a rehearsal space, which leads me to pads. Um, And the reflex pad is great for my hands, but what is the best pad for the bass drum that is comparably quiet to the reflex pad? Keep in mind, I play a lot of double bass and heavy music. Of course you do. You couldn't just be doing some some Brazilian gigs. Uh, I, I love the uh, the Aquarian Super Pad for the kick. I yeah. use that. It yeah. locks in with the clips. You just have to, I mean, if, if you're going to do that, you're going to have to fill your bass drum f- literally to the brim with a comforter and pillows and sheets and whatever you can just to shut down the sound because you're still hitting probably for you either a 20 or 22 inch bass drum mm-hmm. uh so you still have to fill it up but i love that one and it doesn't wear out at all so yeah you know the, of other ones that work the good? other one would to check out maybe is the black hole by artom the company that makes moon gel that's a yep the bass drum is actually the most awkward thing to use of their stuff the snare drum and toms is simple you just hit it over the drum and it, and it kind of clips into the existing tension rods and it's it's essentially a mesh drum head that you that you plop on top of your drum. The bass drum one requires a little bit of bungee cords to hold it in place, but it really does bring the volume down to whisper quiet without killing all the tones. So you can still hear a little bit of low end, but you're, okay. it's, it, I mean, I don't know the percentage, but it's got to be like 85% silent compared to what you normally would. So I'll check that out, but I did actually just recommend to someone else black hole pads for the snare and toms but the aquarian pad for the bass drum i think that's your best option or, um, or you use a remo a, mesh head and just replace your bass drum head with a mesh head absolutely uh also you can try this as well um drum center of portsmouth seems to have some check out the cat tennis ball beater so a lot of times replacing your beater with something much softer will help that as well so there's not so much impact so mm-hmm. we use that on all the kits here for the students. Uh, so KAT percussion, uh, it's actually called the KT-TBB, the Silent Strike Bass Drum Beater. So check that out. That's what Cat was selling with their e-kits, and they still make the beater. And I, and I think Gibraltar has also taken on one of those as well. So you can get the Gibraltar Black Ball Beater for cajones or e-drum kits. So check those out. Between that and whatever you'd use, whether you use the Aquarian Super Pad or the, uh, you say it was the Artom yeah, thing? Yeah, the uh, Black Hole. Yeah. Artom Black, Black Hole. Hole, yeah. Uh, I think you'll be fine. All right, next one also comes from Down Under. This is from uh, Robin. Regarding social media, why do positive comments and feedback have no effect, but one negative comment keeps me awake all night? I know it's stupid, but sometimes it does, especially when it's a random hate slash jealousy post. It is stupid. I've never felt that way. It doesn't bother me at all. <laughs> you kidding, dude? <laughs> oh my god, we're so with you on that. Yeah, we we even talk worst. about that. How we're yeah. like, I don't understand. 
It was 80 good comments. Why didn't they help me at all and make my day better? Yeah. But the I think one. It, it makes every one of our blood boil, right? I mean, it's just yep. the way it is. It's, it's, I guess it depends. There's two types of my blood boiling. One is random hate and my thought. I'm, I'm boiling because my thought is, seriously, dude, you had nothing better to do than just stop. Like, I didn't ask your opinion. Mm-hmm. I was just playing drums. I didn't say, <laughs> what do you think of my drumming? I just said, here's me practicing today. Uh, and you had to come out and hate. That's one type of thing. But that one's easy, pretty easy because it's like, well, you know what? Since you don't like me, you're easy enough to block or to yeah. uh, not follow, whatever. Done. I guess the one that's tougher is when the criticism maybe is a little harsh, but it's also kind of true. Yeah. yeah. You know, like when I when I know that I'm struggling with my timing and somebody just says hashtag metronome, you're like, hey, <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I don't think you're asking what kind of metronome I'm using. You're asking, are you using one? Would you like to start? <laughs> so yeah, uh, I mean, those are the ones that are a little bit that. But at least in that, I can handle it. Like, you know what? All right. I need to get my ass on the kit and, and work out my timing issues. So. Um, yeah, but then I want to respond like hashtag show me yours. <laughs> you know? So I am not above going to their page and being like, you have 11 videos of you playing Halo and getting high scores. I'm not taking advice from you. If Near Z stops by and yeah. says, you know, something, then maybe it's a little bit different. So just know that we all go through it and eventually you just, uh, to me, it's just something where I think if the critique helped me grow, I will leave it up. And if the critique was just rude, insensitive, or contained cuss words, it's gone. And I don't feel that it's cheating to delete comments. If if it's just like, you suck. It's like, what's the purpose of leaving that up there? It doesn't forward the conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Some people just have literally have nothing better to do. But I will go one step further on a neurosis. Oh, boy. As soon as someone you admire comments something positive on one of my posts, let's say, let's say, Ash Zone set comment okay. something on one of my posts, and then I don't hear from him for the next year. I'm thinking he's too nice, but he hates everything that I've ever posted. Okay. <laughs> one year ago, Mark Juliana said, "This is my favorite video ever." He has not commented since then, and I'm like, "Oh no, I peaked! I peaked!" <laughs> totally, I totally get it. I totally get it. And you, okay, you and I know quite a few drummers. We've passed around a few comments like uh, Vinny just commented or yeah, you know, yeah, or this yeah. superstar. So we we definitely take those uh, to heart too. So you know what? <laughs> it's just part of the modern world that we're all trying to navigate. And I know I know Robin, he's he's in the metal world where it seems like people just like to criticize people if they're yeah. for whatever reason. So don't take any of it to heart. Just realize that no. the energy that they wasted poo-pooing on you and you're spending it on practicing i mean you're gonna lap them a hundred times completely agree completely agree all right one more this one's from gary um is this a question yes yeah, a question i'm a 70 year old drummer still playing on the weekends i'm sh- uh, my biggest challenge these days is loading up my gear into the car unloading it setting it up reloading and carrying it back into my studio so the question is do we have any suggestions on lighter weight drums? Not small gig size drums, but big regular size drums that just weigh less. Wow. That's a good question. And I, I can tell you for sure when I have played other drum companies, I always notice it in the kick where I just I pick it up and I'm like, this thing is a tank. And mm-hmm. then sometimes I'm like, this is feather light. So yeah. I know they're out there. Is it 
maybe since you actually have way more experience w- with it than I do, is it the hardware that's on the shell or yeah. is it the shell itself? That would be the first thing I would look for. Look for drums that have the least hardware and the- maybe like two lugs. Two, yeah, small lug, something like a like or like a, a CNC with a single point. Yep, the CNC player date or a Ludwig club date. It just has less yeah. metal attached in the um, the spurs. That has a lot of weight if you have a big, bulky oh, telescope sure. spurs or a tom mount that's really kind of big and unnecessary. Um, so that's one thing I would look for the the, the drums that have the smallest hardware available, and then also the wood itself is going to play a factor. So lighter weight woods like alder wood or something like that or a poplar poplar they're going to be just lighter drums rather than a dense you know birch or something like that um yeah but you know i mean you're dealing with a few pounds i know every pound will play a difference but i think the biggest thing is just going to be get rid of any drum that has huge bulky hardware that's designed for like world tour level kind of applications just go for a lighter weight i mean vintage drums are lighter too okay Totally. Well, I mean, one, the spurs that I have coming out of my vintage 60s Gretsch, it's just like a straw. Yeah. Yeah. They don't, they're like suggestions. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. It's so funny. Like, did I tell you that I had to, I had to go to Amazon and order some more of those K brakes? Oh, because the kit was just moving on you? Yeah, well, I just didn't need them. Uh, the guy that runs K-Breaks was kind enough after we reviewed them in the early days of the podcast. He sent me a bunch. Uh-huh. I just didn't need them because my kit wasn't moving. My my Gretsch, you know, I had a drum rug and mm-hmm. I had the big spurs. Everything was fine. So I honestly just didn't need them. So I gave them to different campers that would complain about their bass drum moving. I'm like, well, I got something for you. Then all of a sudden... I was I got the vintage Gretsch with the little tiny pole that comes out of the bottom, and like you said, it, it's rounded off from years and it doesn't hold at all. And I was like, I guess I'll go to Amazon or some K brakes. So they do their job, man. They do their job. I hope that helps. So send your questions to mdinfo at moderndrummer dot com or pose them at the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike Facebook page. There are a few suggestions there that we will definitely get to um, in future episodes. Um, but now it's time for pick of the week. So mine is related directly to this weekend of gigging. Actually, this whole month of my pick of the week is going to be things that, that happened on the gig. Um, so we were running our sound for two of the four shows. The first show, I just ran a kick trigger. Everything sounded great. The second show was big production. I didn't have to worry about it. The third show, I decided, let me throw the microphone in the bass drum and use the trigger and just kind of combine it. I was running my own mixer so I could have control over it. When I put the, it was just a regular dynamic mic inside the bass drum, it started feeding back, which is exactly why we use the trigger more often than we use a mic. So the bass drum was just humming. Every time I hit the bass drum, hit a tom, it was just humming. So the singer happened to have a Shure Beta 91A, which is the little pyramid condenser mic. mic. Yep. Threw that thing in the drum, the hum was gone, the drum sounded super punchy and amazing. So... If you don't have a Shure Beta 91A boundary kick mic and you're looking for something that's amazing in the studio and also amazing on the gig, that's the one to get. It's not yeah. super cheap. It's a couple hundred bucks, but it's it's indispensable. I mean, it just Man, it, it solves so many problems at that gig. It was amazing. And I know that I don't I obviously I'm not doing a ton of recordings anymore, but when I was doing session stuff in the early 2000s, the recipe was always the 91 in the kick. And then a D112 on the hole. Mm-hmm. 
you know, yeah. or and then eventually became that, and then a Yamaha sub kick on yeah. the outside, outside. But getting the click and the attack out of the ninety one, getting the woof and the thump out of the out of the D one twelve. That was just the recipe back in the day. So uh, yeah. I've always loved that mic. It's a great That's, mic. That, you do need phantom power. So if you're using a cheaper mixing board, doesn't have phantom power, that mic's not going to work. But I have a. I'm using a Mackie that has phantom on every channel. So, but that it was just. It was night and day. The singer was like, "Okay, every show we're using that. Throw that oh, other that's mic so away. Cool. <laughs> Throw that other mic away, <laughs> or give it to a listener." <laughs> All right, my pick of the week is related to Yamaha. Mike was talking about how their hardware just does its job. One of the toughest things to find in the world is a snare stand for your 12-inch pad, whether it's a reflex pad or whatever. I haven't mm. used the reflex pad, but it could be a Prologix pad. It could be anything. But finding a snare stand with... Because usually we just put our our pad on our snare. But if you want just the pad by itself, getting a, one to cradle a 12 or even a 10 is really tough. So there is a Yamaha snare stand called the Yamaha SS662 Compact Snare Drum Stand. And it'll hold a 10-inch tom or a 10-inch pad cool. uh, and fully clamp down on it. It's super lightweight. They're really affordable. They're like 55 bucks. Uh, and this is actually now, y'all, please don't alert DW, but this is what I'm using for my 12-inch tom on my kit. So mm. this is where my 12-inch tom goes. And then we have, because uh, we have a bunch of reflex pads around here, that's the stand we have. Now, I got this stand kind of by accident. I'm a Yamaha DT- DTX artist, and all their electric kits come with this stand to put the 12-inch pad inside. Ah, I was going to ask if this is a, a, an e-kit stand, because I have one, it too, is. and I use it for my wave yeah. drum. Exactly. And so I was talking to Guy from Reflex, and he's like, man, how did you get all my pads on stands? What stand is that? I said, oh, it's just the Yamaha kind of e-kit stand. But so it's called the Yamaha SS662 Compact Snare Drum Stand. I'm looking at it actually on B&H right now, which is a, a photography and video website and they've got it for 54 bucks so in stock ready to ship boom nice all right well we are one week away from not celebrating 200 episodes thank you all for listening (laughs) we're gonna we'll just run down the drummers that we're not going to mention in 2020 that's all we're gonna do yeah i'm gonna unfriend a few of my friends sorry (laughs) <laughs> yeah, and we can't mention your name anymore. But we're going to get into some new drummers. Uh, and also, if you guys know of drummers that – there's too many drummers out there in the world for us to know everyone. If you know of somebody that's really making some waves in the drum industry, has an original style, and has a great personality and is a good person, please send them to us. MDinfo at moderndrummer.com and just say, check out this drummer. And I'm not talking just random guy or girl that can jam. We've got plenty of those. But somebody that's really making some waves and we just – haven't had a chance to to cover them yet we would love to do that the modern drummer's role in my life as i was growing up was that modern drummer told me who to look out for and who to be interested in they alerted me to the drumming community that i didn't know existed and we want to do that through this podcast but as i said there are lots of people playing drums and we can only get to as, as many as we can get to so we will always take your suggestions Dig it. So our outro beat is by Dr. Stuart Anderson. So this groove was sent to him by uh, the co-writer in his band. So he wrote the beat in his computer, and it had a ride cymbal hi-hat cowbell thing that he couldn't actually play 100%. So he charted it out on your site, GrooveScribe, and then worked out um, that he had to have a set of aux hats under his ride cymbal. So this is kind of inspired by that Richard Spaven approach of program something that you can't do and then figure out how to do it. Figure it out. 
Um, nice. So thank you, Dr. Stewart. Anyone else has some beats? We are actually running out, so send your beats, mdinfo at moderndrummer.com, um, and we will put you in the show. Thanks for checking it out, and uh, that's it. We're done. Wow, you wrapped up the show. Well done, buddy. All right, cool. All right, I'm going to hit stop now. <laughs> Bye. <laughs>